0: God, we really do want to look to you. We want to set our hearts on you. We want to see things like you do. And Lord, in, in this time, in this day, we want to become, as your word intends, those who are mediators of every gospel benefit, every blessing that you have desired for every sphere of human society for we want your kingdom to come we we want to be those kingdom agents and so we ask as we get together today that you'd be seen and known open our eyes lead us to you in jesus name amen Good morning, everybody, and uh, thank you to the others who've been leading. Thank you to Vaughan. Thank you to uh, the children's team. Thank you to Dave and to Caro. Yeah, just just good to be together, and uh, and so now we kind of coming to God's word. But just to remind you, after the service, we want to pick up on those Zoom chat groups that uh, will be available inside the WhatsApp communicator. Uh, chat that is um, for Explore. So if you look on that and uh, look for the Explore communication group inside WhatsApp there'll be some links there and they link to several different live groups. Cindy and I'll also be hosting one Um, so if you haven't got a live group you're welcome to uh, check in with us and we'll see who all joins that one as well. Especially if you're new you're super welcome to click on any of the groups um, but if you're feeling like you're gate crashing, well, our group isn't yet a group, so why don't you come in and, uh, and say hi? It would be really great to uh, either see folk who haven't yet had a chance to join a group but are part of the church, or even people who've started joining us um, in recent weeks uh, since we've had a move online. So today we want to carry on exploring what it means to be the apprentices of Jesus And to learn to walk as Jesus did, unpacking a theology and practice of discipleship. And right now, um, we continue in looking at the rhythms of Jesus' life, what was part of his life and how he engaged it, um, in order that we might learn to follow him, imitate him. Um, The daily Bible reading notes are available on the website and the sermons, and uh, they go so much deeper and further than we're able to do in this space. But let's dive right in. We want to look at true worshippers, and we're going to pick up in John chapter four. The story is much bigger, and it's worth the read in John chapter four. But I'm going to start in verse 21, where Jesus says to a Samaritan woman whom he has met at a well, and uh, she's come by herself, and he's there by himself, and they're having this conversation. And Jesus speaks about true worship. That's we're going to zero. It takes is so much richer but we're going to pick up on verse 21. And he says this, Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain in Samaria, nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming And has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit or in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. For God is spirit and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming when he comes he'll explain everything to us then jesus declared i the one speaking to you i am he as i said uh, earlier this is such a rich and layered story loaded with so much so many gifts and graces of the holy spirit I mean, you see hospitality, wisdom, mission, evangelism, words of knowledge, shepherding, teaching, prophecy, mercy, deliverance, justice, reconciliation, and so much more wrapped into a single encounter between this woman and Jesus. And the climax of all of this is this profound person-to-person connection, this self-disclosure that, that emerges between them in which they get to know each other. And then at the end of this encounter with who Jesus is, this woman is radically, radically changed. Now, I want us to see as we begin to think about worship, and and I'm going to include prayer inside of this. Now, worship and prayer is a massive subject. It's It's a thing that we can learn so much about in our journey of faith and following Jesus. And it's one of the few things where the disciples actually went to Jesus and said, why don't you teach us how to do this? Why don't you teach us how to pray? Jesus likens these encounters of worship. He likens a faith encounter to drinking water. So in verse 10, for example, he says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Think again of verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, talking about Jacob's well there in Samaria, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water, welling up to kingdom life, the life of the eternal ages. We we translated eternal life, but it's the life of the age upon age, the age to come. There's something of the power, the grace, the life giving essence of the age to come that enters this age, even now, when you have a faith encounter with Jesus and when you drink of Him. And so Jesus describes these faith encounters of worship, of prayer, of relationship. It's like drinking from a living well of water. There's something so deeply satisfying. When you get to quench a deep thirst, there's appreciation, there's enjoyment, there's gratitude. How much more when our soul thirst is satisfied by an encounter with God? You see, as Jesus will pray in John chapter 17, when when you really enter into that encounter with God, you, you don't just drink life, you drink love. And you drink glory. The glory that Jesus had is given to us and the love that Jesus enjoys that flows from the Father by the Spirit into his life, that love is poured into us. And so there's this encounter that captures so much. Jesus says that true worshipers are going to worship in a certain way. They're going to worship in spirit and in truth. They're going to worship the Father, and I'll mention, comment on that in a moment, but they're going to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, in spirit and in truth, these are distinct, yet the way Jesus uses them, each must define and explain and condition the other. In other words, there's no worship in the spirit that is not founded on the truth and there's no worship in with any kind of truth that is that is without the holy spirit and paul says in ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18 or having described the the armor that god wears that we get to wear that we also pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers requests for all god's people everywhere and the reason that we to pray with all those alls is because it doesn't. It, it describes the totality of how we not just pray, we not just worship, but how we live. So, as the followers of Jesus, we, we want to be worshiping in and praying in the spirit. So that's point number one. True worshippers worship and pray in the spirit. Jesus says, "A time is coming, and has now come, when true worshippers." Who worship the Father in, in the spirit and in truth. They are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Do you know God is looking for your worship? He's, he's seeking it out. And the very essence of God is spirit. And so his worshipers have to come to him with that inner capacity of your spirit and worship him, but in the spirit as well. And in truth, you know, all the power, all the wisdom, all the fruit of ministry that that you see in the life of Jesus flowed from the same spirit Jesus is talking about. So this is not just how we're meant to pray or worship. As a follower of Jesus, it's how we're meant to live. When we think of being in the spirit or worshiping in the spirit, one of the most amazing examples is, of the elderly Apostle John uh, in the book of Revelation. is He describes a time of prayer. In fact, the whole book gets defined by this, in which he was, quote, in the spirit. And and in that time, he saw Jesus risen and glorified with a voice like the thundering of waterfalls and his entire being as radiant as the sun. And, and, And then John heard a voice, he heard the very voice of God, he saw angels, he traveled to heaven, he looked into the future, he received prophecy, all because he was in the Spirit. And at times he was told to not to speak or to tell of what he heard and saw. But all this happened because, as the book repeats in chapter 1, verse 10, in 4, verse 2, in 17, verse 3, in 21, verse 10, He was in the Spirit, and in the Spirit he was encountering so much, receiving so much, engaging so much, and he he joins the worship of heaven, he joins the prayer of heaven, and his life is fed and changed by this encounter. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 1 to 7 that Paul had a similar experience. He's caught up in the Spirit, caught up in the heavenlies, but in his case, the Holy Spirit didn't allow him to tell us any of the details I'm sure the insights that he gained from that space defined many of his letters and much of the revelation but the actual things he saw we don't know so what can we say about to pray to worship in the spirit? well the first thing is is that we activate lay hold of that, at the spirit in our own spirit to enter and engage the realm of God and to let, secondly, the realm of God, God is spirit, come to us and move onto the earth and into the earth through us. You see, human beings alone are made of the dust of the earth and yet we carry the breath of heaven, the ruach, the spirit, the pneuma of God. And so engaging with God is allowing that God-given capacity to become the link between heaven and earth. And we meet with the person of God, the Holy Spirit, through Jesus by means of our spirit. Colossians chapter 3, for example, talks about Having the capacity to set our hearts on things above, to set our minds, verse 2, on Jesus. And so we have something greater than our hearts, something stronger than our minds, which is nevertheless within our capacity to direct and control. That thing which governs your heart is meant to and govern your mind and govern your body from the deepest sense of yourself is your spirit. And then to pray and worship in the Spirit then is to yield our very prayer and worship. Everything about that, its form, its content, its motivation, its trigger to the leadership and to the direction and to the power and to the motivation and to the outcomes of the Holy Spirit. We really want Him in charge when, uh, and directing and leading our worship, leading our praying. And all of this really becomes integrated in lives that are, we read in Galatians chapter 5, walking in the spirit. So underlying our prayer, our praise, our gratitude, our worship is a heart and a sense. When I'm getting this right... That the underlying atmosphere, the underlying spirit, the underlying sense is one of love, is one of joy, is one of peace, is one of confidence in God, of rest and faith and so much more. It's literally like the atmosphere around me starts reflecting the atmosphere of heaven. And when I'm praying in the Spirit, I cannot be praying in the same Spirit as Jesus prayed, connecting, feeding, drawing from that Spirit, and at the same time still be carrying and praying in a spirit of fear, a spirit of uncertainty, a spirit of bitterness, a spirit of doubt, a spirit of pretense. You see, to get praying in the Spirit right means that I work out what is the sense, what is the atmosphere that I'm carrying in that very moment of engaging with God. You see, I I found, especially in my early years of trying to follow Jesus, that that my praying was built on what I was worrying about. My praying was built on what I was trying to think through or what I wanted or what I was wrestling with and struggling. And, And to be honest, I was the engine of prayer. I was the leader. I I delivered all the content in that space. And then I wondered why prayer was hard or frustrating or boring or even dead. So too many of us actually think that worrying out loud and putting God as the brackets of that is is helpful prayer. But we don't realize we're not in the spirit. We're actually the ones in control. We're actually the ones delivering all the content And quite frankly, the atmosphere and it's our stresses and our worries and it's the pressures and this is stuff all around us. Now, I know that's true in the sense that we need to bring God what we need. But but in that space, prayer just becomes an attempt to tell God what to do. You know, kind of in short, as I heard one guy said, he had to confess, my prayer is, Lord, my will be done in Jesus name. My will be done in Jesus name. This is what I'm worried about. This is what I want you to do. This is what I need. Guys, such controlling, self-absorbed, self-directed prayer is useless, idolatrous, and frankly, deeply depressing. Sucks the life out of us. Because all we're doing is worrying in Jesus' name. All we're doing is... Is getting angry and anxious in Jesus' name because we just don't have the right spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that we fake faith when we are genuinely struggling. Of course, we need to be honest. And earlier in the course, we looked at how to really spell out the things we need to be honest about and how to deal with them, how to bring them to God. We looked at a tool that uses the language of get out, skidoo. We looked at forgiving others when stuff comes into our life, and, and I'm building on that. But today I want to kind of move past dealing with the negative to really stepping into the positive. Jesus is describing to a woman who was missing the point completely. He, he incentivizes a change in her life by simply laying the positive before her. He doesn't. He does tell her, listen, you guys are worshipping what you don't know. We're worshipping what we do know. But we need to understand the power of being incentivized by that, which is truly positive. And so while it doesn't mean what well, I'm not arguing for, some kind of fake it, I'm great, everything's fine. When I am struggling, I'm totally allowed to take that to God. But it does mean that I have to learn to discern which spirit is in charge of my heart and of my mind when I'm trying to connect with God. Jesus says true worshipers worship the Father in the Spirit, in Spirit. And both of those are permissible translations. And I think they intentionally have a lovely, uh, in a sense, synergistic ambiguity. So we worship in Spirit. Second thing is that we do worship in truth. I don't know if you've noticed lately, but truth is making a spectacular comeback. Until very recently, we lived in a cultural moment where people were determined to customize and personalize truth. And we talk about my truth as as if somehow it's something I could possess and control and direct as I wished, if that were even possible. But, But suddenly, imposed by the circumstances around us and the world that is changing overnight, truth is back with a bang. It is being imposed by harsh reality. We don't get to invent our own lives as much as people tell you that's within your power. And the wider society around us and the culture is rapidly reaching agreement about the plague of fake news and the virus of conspiracy theories. And even the limits of science to no longer present itself as all-knowing and all-powerful with some kind of evolutionary view of human progress. We, we realize that those claims are not true. And so truth has become a deeply powerful, precious commodity because we're suddenly realizing how scarce it was we don't want people to mess around because lives are at stake. Yes the to think, Jesus knows eternal life is at stake. And so she, he says to this woman, we worship what we know. We're going to worship in truth. So what are the implications of worshiping in truth? Remembering that it synergizes with worshiping in spirit. You can't worship in the spirit and not in truth. You can't worship in, in truth and not be in the spirit in the way that I was describing earlier. So what are some of the implications? The first is that we, the one we worship must truly be God. We must worship the true God. And true worship is Trinitarian. The whole passage, the whole encounter just breathes the Trinity as Jesus reveals himself as Messiah, as the anointed Christ to this woman. And yet he's directing her word and, and, and by believing in him, he he is saying that you'll have a meeting with God and that that will be in the Spirit. And so we worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, which Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so true worship must be to the Trinitarian God. All other worship fails this test. True worship cannot worship false gods no matter how sincere. The second is that what we say and declare about God in our worship, in our prayer, must be true. Now remember this, that revelation, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus explains, amongst many other places in the parable of the seed, that the revelation of kingdom truth is incremental. In other words, when you're faithful with what you've got, you get given more. So worship leads us To a place where we begin to think and consider and focus, set our hearts, set our minds on God, on things above, where Christ is seated there. And so there's an increase of revelation, of encounter and of glory. So the key is we need to say that and declare that which is true of God. Be faithful to the revelation knowledge we do have and we will find that God will take us deeper he will take us further he will increase and we will move according to 2 corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 into another degree of worship another degree of face-to-face encounter but it depends on getting truth as the foundation of that encounter not just our wishes and not just our wants what we say and declare about god in that encounter needs to be true And also, worship in truth means that we must pray and worship with integrity. There can be no faking it till we make it here. No exaggerated claims. In Matthew 15, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees' hypocrisy with a stinging rebuke from Isaiah the prophet. He says this in Matthew 15, verse 7. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. The worship is empty. It's pointless. It's meaningless. Because they're just teaching human rules. If we don't open our hearts and make sure that they are connecting with what our lips are saying, that there is integrity in the worship encounter. We we know we're near to worshiping in truth. So this is where we bring ourselves and everything that's true about us into the worship encounter. And lastly, true worship must be faithful to the worship patterns that God has revealed. For example, when we're engaging in worship, and the notes will carry much more on this, we learn to enter, engage with thanksgiving, with praise. We count our blessings you know, there's a, there's a huge amount going on around all of us right now. But one of the things that we can certainly do, no matter what else is going on, is that we can, we can stop and say, God, thank you. And out of that place of praise and honor and declaring things that are true, we move into worship. We move close. We move to see and hear. And we begin to value, honor his presence in scripture the word presence often just simply means face that when you're close enough to see the features of his face is to be aware of the presence of god and when we give value to the majesty and the glory of his face and so i referenced it a little bit earlier but 2 corinthians chapter 3 verse 17 says now the lord is the spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces now contemplate, look at, and reflect, reproduce the image of the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, or from glory to glory. And this glory comes from the Lord Who is the Spirit? In early 2006, during an extended season of prayer and fasting, I was privileged to include some of those days in a retreat up in the Drakensberg Mountains. And early one morning, I was sitting by a lake watching the sunrise over Castleberg Mountain, uh, quite nearby, filled, as it were, my vision I was down on the, on the foothills, on the slopes. It's a very distinctive mountain. You can recognize it. You can see it anywhere. And if you know it, you, you know what it looks like. And as I was sitting on this side of the lake, looking across the lake at the mountain, there was a breeze blowing. And, and so the water was moving. And as I sat there, slowly the breeze died down. And simply because it was an amazing time, I must have spent quite some time there. But as I was spending time there in prayer and in worship and in the Lord's presence, just sitting on a bench, looking out over this view, slowly the water became calm and eventually completely calm, mirror image clear. And I could see the mountain Inverted, but nevertheless reflected in exquisite detail. I could see the mountain, but I could also see its image. I could see its glory in its image. And I was was about to tell God how clever he was and just how amazing his creation was when he quietened me, prompted me to listen. And then he simply said this to my spirit, son, I want to mirror my majesty in you. That's what happens when we really begin to worship him. Something of his nature certainly a whole lot of his truth and his spirit comes in us and that which is incredibly more glorious than us nevertheless changes. Something of his glory, something of his majesty begins to be seen in those who will look at him. But how could this be? Well, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, and we, many of us know this verse from another context, and it's correct in that context. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We missed the glory. It says this, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came. By Christ Jesus, through the redemption that came by the Messiah named Jesus, the one who looked at the woman at the well and said to her, when she said, I know when the Christ, when Messiah comes, he'll explain this all to us. He said, I am he, the one speaking to you. It's me. You see, Romans 3, if sin's effect was the loss of glory then sin's remedy in Jesus is the restoration of the same because of Jesus glory encounter with God in ways that shifts our minds our hearts that which we even count as truth itself gets redefined in the encounters with God Some of you want that again. If sin's effect is the loss of glory, then sin's remedy is the restoration of the same. Glory is restored to God's worshippers, the Father's worshipers who come in the name of the Son by the Spirit. Now, the paradox of this, that this heavenly weight, this, this incredible glory equips us, equips you, it, it, it equips me to engage a world of persecution, of brokenness, of suffering, of loss. But we now engage it from a completely different point of view. Our truth is different. Our view of reality has been recalibrated and we engage it from a completely different spirit, So something has been repositioned within us as we worship, learn to become the true worshippers the Father seeks, and so we engage with the world. We move towards suffering with redemptive intent. We believe that we are the mediators of every kingdom blessing that God could possibly have for the earth. And our worship is not to make us immune from the world. It's not because we can escape the hardship of this world, but our worship enables us to engage the world without fear. We are no longer afraid. We have a different spirit. And the fact is, when we've encountered him we're always far more impressed with God than we could be with anything else. Let's pray together. Just take some time and yeah I know many of you are sitting with the puzzle or the coffee or the slippers or whatever it is that's going on but I want you to pause for a moment I want you to just really stop and engage near yeah, Jesus true worshippers worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth so why don't you invite him to come and take you into that place of encounter right where you are to so say come Holy Spirit I add my prayer right now with you. Come, Holy Spirit. Just wait. Just wait. Just just wait for the water to settle. Just wait till you begin to see His image. Just wait. Come. sense for some of you. God's invite. He's showing you you can pray with a different spirit. You can be completely honest about where you are. But if you'll let him, he'll immerse you, he'll baptize you in a new spirit so that you're no longer a slave to fear. You're no longer stuck in uncertainty and doubt. But that from this place of and worship. You're finding yourself surrounded by love, by joy, by peace. You're immersed in the Spirit who gives freedom. So I bless you. Enjoy today. Enjoy today. Enjoy the new Spirit. The new Spirit. Out with the old. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. In with the new. In with the new. Yes, Lord, I say yes. Yes, Lord, I say yes. take a few minutes and then join a zoom meeting it would be really great if you did that and uh, bless you all may his grace the grace of jesus and the love of the father and the close friendship connection and fellowship of the holy spirit be with you all amen amen